What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into episode two of Running Back Week. Today, I'm going over my running backs from 13 to 24. And just real quick, before we cap it off, I'm going to go over my top 12 that we went over last episode. Obviously, at number one, I have Christian McCaffrey. Then I had a tier break. Then Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley are the three people in tier two for me. Then tier three is Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry. It's a big one. Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, Joe Mixon at 10, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 11, and Josh Jacobs at 12. And then we capped off the episode, and there was a clear tier break there for me too. So we are starting tier 4 at the running back position from 13, and we're starting with Melvin Gordon. Here's the thing. Personally, before I even started doing my projections on Melvin Gordon... I thought I was going to be somebody that was low on him. I hated the situation. I was so confused why the Broncos would bring in Melvin Gordon when they already had Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, but they did it. And so obviously I had to go grind, do my research and build up my projections for him. And I actually ended up liking him a lot more than I thought. I found that he's going to be a great second running back. Obviously I have him at 13 and most people can get him as their RB3 because he's going at that like 3-4 turn. So for me, when I can grab Melvin Gordon at the back end of the third or top of the fourth, I am super happy. The Broncos last year were already a run-heavy team. Then they added great players on defense, one of them being A.J. Boye from the Jaguars and the other being Jarrell Casey from the Tennessee Titans, a really good defensive tackle. So they added two good pieces. Yes, I know they lost Chris Harris, but A.J. Boye is a good fill-in. And then they added a good defensive tackle. So they're already working with a good defense. Also, last year, Bradley Chubb was hurt. Now he's back. So their defense is going to be better than it was last year. And last year, they only threw the ball 500 times. They were on pace for even less than that with Drew Locke. I think it was like 498, so basically still 500. And now they added Melvin Gordon too. Yes, I know they drafted Jerry Judy. I know they drafted KJ Hamler. Trust me, I don't see the Broncos completely dismissing the pass. But the other things that they have done have showed that they want to stay that team that has a good defense, a good run game, and can just be that low volume pass offense that's still efficient because they're giving Drew Lock good weapons. And I think that's what we should expect. So I have them passing for just above 500 pass attempts. Just barely. So I think they're going to be a pretty run-heavy team. And they're going to have around 400 rush attempts. I project Melvin out of that 400 for about 50% of those. I have him at 187 carries. That's off the top of my head, just doing quick math. That's about 11 per game because 10 would be 160. So that's about 11 carries per game, 11 and a half. I don't think that's a high number by any means. I'm not even projecting him to be super efficient. I only have him at 4.1 yards per carry. But here's the thing. They brought in Melvin Gordon, and he is the clear receiving back on that team. He's a better receiving running back than Philip Lindsay or Royce Freeman, so I project him to take a lot of that role. 
around 65% of that role. Plus, he's probably going to be the red zone running back because he's good in the red zone. He piled up touchdowns for the Chargers, aside from his rookie year, which was an anomaly. And then he's just going to be the guy that they go to. So despite him being somebody that I have for, you know, that 180 to 200 attempt range, like Alvin Kamara or Austin Eckler, I think that because he's going to get a good amount of receiving work and be the red zone guy on a run-heavy offense, he's going to be pretty good for fantasy. Plus, this tier, and as we get into it, you're going to see more of it, this tier is such a risky tier. This is basically, this whole tier is pretty much vets with risk. That's basically what the tier is. And Melvin Gordon probably has the least risk out of all of them. Like, it's less likely he gets hurt, in my opinion, than the rest of the guys we're going to go over, except for maybe one or two. But he's also locked into a better situation than the one or two guys that are healthier than him. So he's at the top of this tier for me. I have him as the best RB2 available at 13. I think he's a great guy that you can go ahead and grab in fantasy drafts. I think he's a good value. But I often find myself getting this guy as my RB3 because, as you guys know, I go RB heavy. I talk about it all the time. I slam running back. First and second round pretty much is always two running backs. And then third round, I might get like a DJ Moore or a Kenny Galladay or Mike Evans. Otherwise, I'll try and get another running back. And then in the fourth round, after after the fourth round, I come out with three running backs every single time. I have yet to come out of the fourth round with only two running backs, except for like in a super flex league, but that's a different situation completely, obviously, because you have to factor in quarterbacks. But the guy that I often find myself getting as my RB3 in that same range as Melvin Gordon opposed to Melvin, just because I get him a little bit later, is Le'Veon Bell, and he's my RB14. Okay, can we please, please throw out Adam Gase for one second? Okay, Adam Gase was there last year. He was there last year, and Le'Veon Bell was the RB 16 or 17, depending on your scoring format. So if Adam Gase was there last year, and that's how good he was, or bad, however you want to look at it, because he was probably drafted a little bit higher. So he was RB 16, Adam Gase is still there. So that's part of the equation that has remained the same. If it's remained the same, you shouldn't use it against him. So what else can we talk about? Aside from Adam Gase, they added Frank Gore. Yes, they did. And do I think Frank Gore is going to get carries? Yes, I do. Probably between six and eight carries a game. But here's the thing. Last year, the Jets offense was horrible. Despite the fact that Le'Veon Bell took a bunch of carries, as a whole, that team did not run the ball much. They didn't run the ball nearly as much as I think they're going to be able to this year. Why do I think that? Plenty of reasons. One, they added Makai Becton in the first round. He is a giant, and he is a run grader. He's from Louisville. He blocked back in the day for Lamar Jackson, who was basically running every other play. And Makai Becton is probably the best right now out of the elite offensive tackle class that just came in this first round with him, Werfs, Thomas, and... Oh, man, don't lose the other person's name. Uh, who did the Browns draft? It'll come to me in a second. Um, Jedrick Wills, that's what it was. Um, but aside from that, he was the best run blocker out of the four tackles in this class. And this is looked at as an elite offensive tackle class. And he's probably going to keep getting better. So he automatically makes things easier for Le'Veon Bell. They also are likely to have two more starters on their offensive line that are new to the team, which might hurt them in the beginning, but I think 
their O-line will start to gel eventually and it'll come together, but it's going to be hard to be as bad as last year in the first place. But they have two new guys that they got in free agency, so they have three new offensive linemen. It's going to get better, especially just because of Makai. Then you have Brashad Perriman and Denzel Mims getting added to the receiving core. Yes, they lost Robbie Anderson. Personally, and this is not because I'm a Bucks fan at all, trust me, I am very good at not being biased. Um, I think Brashad Perryman is not that much worse than Robbie Anderson. So then you add in Denzel Mims, their receiving core has gotten better despite losing Robbie. So you have a better receiving core, a better offensive line. What does that mean? That means your offense is going to be better. Your offense is going to be more efficient and you're probably going to be able to run the ball more. So you're telling me all these things happen and somehow Le'Veon Bell is going to get worse. It's not, it's not going to happen. He's going to have about the same amount of touches as last year because Guess what? I projected him for a smaller percentage of total touches at the running back position because of the Frank Gore addition, but I project the team to have more touches going to the running backs, more rushing attempts about the same uh, receiving work. We know Frank Gore is not really a guy that does good in that department, so he's not threatening Bell there. And that, to me, makes me see a guy who's going to get the same workout at last as last year behind a better offensive line with better receiving weapons to give him stacked boxes at a lower rate that he saw last year. How is he not going to be better? And here's the kicker. Last year, he had four touchdowns. Four touchdowns. Not four rushing touchdowns. Four touchdowns. You don't think he's going to get one touchdown every four games? You're off your rocker. Because, um, wow, I sound really, that was like a dad joke. Um, he is, I have him projecting for eight touchdowns. I think that's safe. One every other game because he's a receiving threat and a rushing threat. Let's not forget, it's not like Le'Veon Bell just fell off a cliff. He's not some guy that just lost everything. So Bell is somebody that I really like to grab. I think he's being very undervalued. He's at like almost RB20 right now in ADP. I think he might be like 19. I have him up at 14. I think he's a great value. And I'm not really worried about him getting injured either. So that's another great one to start off this tier. And now is to the point where we're going to start seeing guys that are a little bit more risky. At 15, I have Aaron Jones. Here's the thing. He is going to lose touchdowns to AJ Dillon, a few carries per game, but honestly, I don't think it's going to be as bad as everyone else does. I have him up here at 15, but he's probably going to finish higher than that because we know every year some running backs get hurt. I'm sure if Aaron Jones plays 16 games, he'll finish higher than 15 because some of the guys that have ranked above him will miss a couple games. So Aaron Jones is probably going to be an RB1. One thing I don't like about Aaron Jones, though, is that he was reliant in the receiving game for fantasy when Devontae Adams, or on Devontae Adams not being on the field. When Devontae Adams was off the field, Aaron Jones was much better in the receiving game, which obviously helps you immensely in fantasy football. Once Devontae Adams was back, he lost a lot of his receiving work. So you have Devontae Adams, hopefully healthy for the whole season. So you have him losing some receiving work. And let's say he, Aaron Jones, I'm speaking of, he had 236 carries last year. Let's just take away 25 carries, about 25 carries, and give that to A.J. Dillon and say A.J. Dillon gets the rest of his carries from Jamal Williams. So honestly, I'm not giving A.J. Dillon that much. I'm giving him about 110 carries. So Aaron Jones is now in the 210 carry range. He's still going to be really efficient, right? He's still going to be in a, a very good offense that gives him good opportunities to score. AJ Dillon's not a threat to take receiving work away from him. And all of a sudden, 
and their defense is getting better. Plus, plus the report just came out, and maybe it's official by the time you're listening to this. I'm not sure, but as of right now, as I'm recording, it's not official. But Everson Griffin is interested in signing with the Packers. If he does that, the defense is going to be even better. And I'm not going to change my projection because I already have them projected to run the ball a significant amount and pass less. That's why I have Aaron Rodgers ranked pretty low. But that'll just strengthen my case if they add Everson Griffin because their defense has already been getting better from all the draft picks that they made recently. Um, Not this year, but last year. Obviously, this year they went offensive. And the defensive additions and the double Smiths that they added and whatnot. So they're going to have a good defense. They're kind of turning into the Titans. And that's where I was going with this before I went on my little tangent about like who they drafted and whatnot. Aaron Jones is basically going to be the 2016 version of DeMarco Murray. That was Derrick Henry's rookie year. And A.J. Dillon can be the Derrick Henry. I'm not talking about comparing them in terms of how good they are. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying A.J. Dillon is as good as Derrick Henry. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is that that year in 2016, the Titans obviously ran the bo- ran the ball way more than the Packers are going to run the ball now. So I think it's a similar situation, just at a lower amount of volume. But DeMarco Murray was the RB5. With Derrick Henry there, Derrick Henry took about 100 carries, which is about what I have A.J. Dillon projected for. Derrick Henry didn't hurt DeMarco Murray in the receiving game at all, which is what I have A.J. Dillon projected for, basically nothing in receiving. So Aaron Jones is going to keep his receiving. It's going to be worse, obviously, without Devontae Adams. But And that's part of the you know worst volume that I'm talking about with the Packers compared to the Titans. So Aaron Jones is going to be the guy still. He's not going to just get ruined by A.J. Dillon. So it's possible that he finishes even higher than just like a RB12 or whatnot after a few guys ahead of him missed games. So Aaron Jones is a guy that I don't mind taking a risk on, but as you guys have seen, I have Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell ranked above him, and they're getting drafted after him. That's why I don't really end up with Aaron Jones on any of my teams, and I always grab Bell or Gordon. But if you take Aaron Jones, don't worry about A.J. Dillon this year. I would really be more worried about A.J. Uh, Aaron Jones in Dynasty because he's going to hit free agency this year and this is going to be a loaded free agency class at running back and there will be one or two running backs that get screwed because there's going to be more running backs on the market in my opinion than there will be open spots so whatever running backs decide that you know they are worth more than what other teams think they are and try to be greedy they're going to get screwed because they're not going to get the contract they want they're not going to accept it and then they're going to get you know, replaced by somebody else on the market. So I'm pretty worried about all of those guys that don't re-sign this year. So if Aaron Jones is not re-signed, which obviously they drafted A.J. Dillon, DeMarco Murray was walked out the door after Derrick Henry came in. So that could easily happen with Aaron Jones. So I'm a little bit more worried in Dynasty because I'm not sure that he gets a contract. But for this year, I'm fine with Aaron Jones at 15. Then at 16, this is when the risk sets in. It gets risky, risky, risky. We're talking David Johnson. Honestly, I'm pivoting to other running backs in this area. Not even just talking about Gordon and Bell, but even guys that I have ranked after David Johnson, I'm going to take before David Johnson, despite my projections. And why? Because of the risk. The risk, just like Deshaun Watson, if you guys have heard me on my quarterback podcast, Deshaun Watson is the riskiest guy in his tier by far, and I'm not touching him. It's the same thing for David Johnson. David Johnson has not played a full season and what is it now three seasons three seasons that's a lot and he's on a team that we haven't seen 
be great for fantasy purposes for running backs, but I don't think that that's going to continue. I think that's going to change. I have them running the ball about the same, but targeting the running backs a lot more because of losing 150 targets from DeAndre Hopkins leaving. Usually when somebody leaves, they give a good percentage of that target share to the running back position. But Duke is still there. Duke is still going to take some reception. So we're not talking David Johnson could get to that 70 plus reception range. I have him at 52 receptions. I think that's good. And that's why he is my RB16. I have him higher than most other people. I'm still just not drafting him because of the risk. Because not only is David Johnson um, an injury risk in it of himself, but anybody else on that team that could help him be efficient. Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, they stretch the field. They could help David Johnson be efficient in the run game by making by keeping defenses honest and stopping defenses from you know stacking the box. If those guys go down, all of a sudden, David Johnson is in a, a worse situation than he was in Arizona. And he's one of the only weapons that the defenses have to worry about, and he's going to be screwed. Plus... We don't see a lot of touchdowns go to the running back position in Houston for whatever reason. I don't think they've had a guy as good as David Johnson in the last four years, but which is, you know, how long Deshaun Watson has been there. And so is it a Deshaun Watson thing? Is it just they haven't had really good running backs? We don't know. We're going to find that out this year. But there's just so much risk. So unless you're getting him at like the fifth round or the very back of the fourth round, I'm really not taking David Johnson because I'd much take much rather take a guy like Todd Gurley, who I have at 17. I am taking him over David Johnson 100% because not only is his risk lower, yes, I know his knee and everything. I'm not worried as worried about his knee as everyone else seems to be. I'm not sure what it is that is scaring everybody off so much. He honestly didn't look that bad. And are we forgetting he played 16 games last season? Like, am I, am I making a mistake or... Did he play 16? Because I'm pretty sure he played 16 last season. And I'm going to check my notes, actually. 15. Okay, he played 15 games last season. So we're worried about him and his injury risk. He's been healthier than David Johnson has. And he's been able to manage his knee injury. And he's had some games last year where he didn't look that great. Yes, but he also he also had some games where he looked really good. Hopefully, this offseason could do him some good. And he can just come back looking... of the Todd Gurley that we loved or 70% of the Todd Gurley that we loved. If he's anywhere near that in the Falcons offense, his potential is huge. He could easily be, easily be a top five running back if he can just play all 16 games. And so because of his huge potential, because David Johnson doesn't have potential like that to be top five running backs. Aaron Jones does, but he'll have to have some fluky games like he did last year. And Le'Veon Bell definitely doesn't. He's a a more steady guy. Melvin Gordon, I would say, doesn't just because of how crowded the room is. So, so far in this tier between Gordon, Bell, Jones, Johnson, and Gurley, Gurley has the most potential by far. Plus, yeah, he has risk, but it's not as bad as everyone thinks because, like I said, he held up last year. Plus, he is on a one-year deal. And we know what that means when you put a player in a situation where it's make or break for them, they and they're a good player like Todd Gurley, they're going to deliver for you. So the fact that he is on that one-year deal is going to motivate him, but it's also going to make the team just feed him. If he's doing good, they're going to be like, look, we have no future invested in this guy. We have no future capital in him. If he's doing good and we think we're win- like we can continue to win with Todd Gurley, let's just feed him the ball and cut him loose after this year if we don't feel comfortable with his health. Because... 
they're both on the hot seat anyways. Both the GM and the head coach are both on the hot seat. So if they are doing good with Gurley, they're going to ride Gurley, trust me. And I could easily see them having a great offense, as always, and Gurley being really good. So he's somebody I think is a pretty good pick too. Honestly, I don't mind this tier as much. It's just I like to get guys higher up because they don't hold the risk that these guys do. But this is a pretty good tier. Now, this next guy is somebody I don't have anywhere and I will make sure it stays that way because there's no way his ADP is going to fall down to where I think it should be. And that is my running back 18, Nick Chubb. Some of you guys are going to hate it. Some of you guys have him in your top 10. Some of you guys, you know, are just hoping he can just be great. Did you know I'm going to play a game with you guys. Two questions for you. One, did you know that Kareem Hunt had more touchdowns once he was back for the Browns than Nick Chubb did? That's question number one. Question number two. Did you know that Kareem Hunt received 73% of the running back targets once he was on the field? 73%? He is the clear receiving back. So this is basically the situation in Cleveland, and I feel pretty confident in this. Basically, Nick Chubb is going to be on the high side of a 70-30 split on carries. So he's going to get about, between him and Kareem Hunt, 70% of the running, or the rushes. And he's efficient with that work. But he loses almost all of his receiving upside to Kareem Hunt. And not only that, but he loses a lot of touchdowns to Kareem Hunt, because guess who's more of a threat in the red zone? Because he's a good receiver, Kareem Hunt. And that's why Kareem Hunt had more touchdowns than Nick Chubb. And I'm not saying, like, I don't have Hunt projected to have more touchdowns this year, even though that's what he did when they were both on the field. I still have Nick Chubb being the touchdown leader, but I have them very close. And I think it's going to be very close. Last thing on Chubb versus Hunt. Last year, Chubb averaged 18.1 points per game before Hunt hit the field. Hunt hits the field, his 18.1 points per game dropped to 13.3. That's a huge drop. That's top five running back drop to barely barely a running back too, barely. Kareem Hunt, on the other hand, averaged 10.2 points per game to Nick Chubb's 13.3. So what's the verdict? The verdict is this isn't, Nick Chubb is our RB1, Kareem Hunt is our RB2. This isn't an Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray situation. No, sir. This is, I will play Kareem Hunt in my flex, even when Nick Chubb is healthy. You don't do that for Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray, his value is if Kamara gets hurt, and you only put him in the flex if you absolutely need him. I think Kareem Hunt is going to be a week-to-week flex player. This is 1A, 1B. Chubb is 1A. Kareem Hunt is 1B. Unfortunately for Chubb, 1B is better in the red zone. So that's why I'm not taking Chubb. At his current ADP of the second round, I would not even take him in the third. And here's the crazy thing. If you remember my talk about quarterbacks, I talked about how all of my quarterbacks that I had ranked high for the most part, unless they had elite passing volume and elite efficiency projected for them, they had good rushing numbers because that matters a lot in fantasy. In for a quarterback, 10 rushing yards is the same amount of points as 25 passing yards. For running backs and wide receivers, but mainly running backs because wide receivers don't run the ball really, um, 
a reception, if you just do the quick math, let, let's talk about it, okay? A reception in PPR, because that's what most of us play, is one point. Most running backs pull in about eight yards per reception. So per reception, uh, a running back's usually getting like 1.8 points, okay? 0.8 for the, the yards and one for the reception. So almost two points per reception is what a running back's getting. How much points do they get per touch or per rush attempt? If they average five yards per carry, which is elite, then they're getting half a point per carry. So you have half a point per carry versus almost two points per reception. And Kareem Hunt is the reception guy. It takes so much away from Nick Chubb. So much. So that's basically my verdict on him. Then we have at RB19, Chris Carson. Chris Carson is a bit outdated for today's game, but he works perfectly for what the Seahawks do. And the addition of Jamal Adams to that defense should actually really help because I was on the side of Seattle's going to throw the ball more than they have because their defense is going to be really bad, even worse than it was last year because they're losing Clowney or so far he he might still sign there. Uh, But they also lost Ezekiel Ansah and Michael Kendricks. But now they added Jamal Adams, so that's going to help. If they re-sign Clowney, then it's probably going to be to the same level as it was last year. So they're still going to be able to run the ball a lot. So I actually had to change my projection once they signed Jamal Adams. I gave Carson, Chris Carson, about 15 more rushes on the season. And took away about 15 attempts from Russell Wilson. So Carson, he still has the opportunity to get a lot of carries. He does struggle in the reception category compared to other people, but he's not horrible. He's around 35-ish receptions, and he's a guy, this is one thing I like about him, that provides you a good floor, especially considering nobody's threatening his workload because Hyde is washed and Penny's possibly starting the season on the pup list. So Chris Carson is another guy that's pretty good. Now we get to the, the guy who I think can threaten Todd Gurley's potential or in terms of Todd Gurley having the best potential in this year. Because I still think Todd Gurley has more potential than Nick Chubb because Todd Gurley can get the receiving work and is going to be in a better offense. And he definitely has more potential than Chris Carson. This is the guy that might threaten for this, uh, you know, the crown of having the most potential in this tier. That's James Conner at RB20 for me. Conner is one of the injury-riddled guys, but... We've seen what he can do with the Steelers. The questions that we have to ask, though, is what makes me have him this low and make me makes me somewhat passive on his projections. Because one, we have to ask, how good are the Steelers going to be in general? Is Big Ben going to be who he was two years ago? Because that's the last time we really saw him. That was with a B. Also, Connor is now working with Anthony McFarland behind him and Benny Snell behind him, and Jalen Samuels behind him. So he's got more competition there. And if the Steelers organization starts to get worried about Connor and they want to just keep him healthy, he's clearly their best running back. There's no questioning that. He's clearly their best running back. But if they start to get worried about him and his health, this is actually part of what had my projections low on Dalvin Cook last year because I was thinking, okay, maybe the Vikings organization are starting to realize that Dalvin Cook cannot hold up to 16 games. Maybe they reduce his carries a little bit. So that's what I did in my projections for Dalvin Cook. That's actually what made me miss on him. So could that happen to me again this year with James Conner? Yes, but the thing is that they just drafted Anthony McFarland, so it makes the situation slightly different. And... McFarland looks good. Samuels is a good receiver. And Benny Snell 
to me, he's not much. He's just a plotter. But it's just there's so many guys there that you have to worry about Connor. You have to worry about his receiving upside, especially because Eric Ebron just got added and Chase Claypool got added. And then you also have to worry about his total touchdowns. What's his touchdown count? And if he can even stay healthy. And if he is healthy, does he get the same workload he was getting before? There's just so many questions. So that's why I have Connor at 20. But I will not lie. If you can get him at a value, take your swing. Because he's a guy that could end up, could end up being a league winner like he once was when Bell held out. Then at 21, I have Leonard Fournette. This is probably going to seem low, but... With his super low receiving upside due to the addition of Chris Thompson and the fact that he's not an efficient runner, pay attention to that because unlike Chris Carson or other guys that don't get as much receiving work as you know the guys above them, they're efficient runners. Leonard Fournette is not an efficient runner. So it's going to be hard for him to come out great in projections, period. Something else that hurts his case, he's not even a guy that could put up a huge touchdown total. His potential his ceiling is not nearly as much to me as everyone else thinks it is like some people think that Leonard Fournette can still because of the workload and whatnot become like a top five running back oh he was RB7 last year yeah he was RB7 last year with how many targets and receptions last year he had 100 targets 76 receptions and he was RB7 and yes I know he only had three touchdowns but 76 receptions, that's so many points. He's probably not going to crack 40 receptions with Chris Thompson there. And I'm not going to bank on Chris Thompson getting injured because if you're banking on Chris Thompson getting injured, well, guess what? Fournette might get injured too. So don't play that game. If you're going to play that game, you got to be fair across the board. So the fact that he's losing his receiving work, he's not great in terms of yards per carry or just efficiency in general in any part of the game, really. I don't care if he's going to get a big workload because he's not going to be good. He doesn't have huge touchdown upside and guess what here's the crazy thing i have him projected remember i told you i'm a little bit more i'm a little more fearless with my um projections than other people in terms of touchdowns but i have him at 10 touchdowns which is not far off from the guys in this tier because since i didn't go over touchdowns i guess i'll give them to you for this tier melvin gordon i have him at 12 bell i have at 8 aaron jones at 13 david johnson at 9 todd Gurley at 10 nick chubb at 9 chris carson at 9 james connor at 9 Leonard Fournette at 10. So I even gave him the benefit of the doubt in touchdowns, and he's still this low for me because of the lack of receiving and efficiency in the run game. So Fournette is not somebody I'm touching. And boom, we have a tear break. So we have three running backs left in my top 24. That's not where the tier ends, but that's where we're going to finish this podcast off. And to start this tier, so that that big tier, that huge tier four, spanned from RB13 all the way to RB21, that's eight guys no nine guys and that was basically like the older guys that have injury risk or somebody threatening behind them so that was like Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt behind him Aaron Jones with agent AJ Dillon behind him and then the guys with injury risk like Fournette Connor Carson Gurley David Johnson etc 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 so now we have Ronald Jones at RB22 Look, obviously I'm projecting Roja as the guy in this backfield, and I've talked about it a lot, so I'm probably not going to touch on that part, the him versus Vaughn and why Rojo is going to be the guy, whatnot. But you should probably start getting on the Rojo train because Vaughn just got found with COVID, and so now he's going to be quarantined and 
miss even more time and an already short offseason for rookies. So really, at this point, you're being silly if you're not going to jump on the Rojo train, at least for the beginning of the season. So I'm projecting Rojo to take 55% of the carries between him and Vaughn. So barely more carries than Vaughn, barely. But I have him taking most of the receiving work. And it's not even that much. It's not much receiving work. I only have him projected for 25 receptions. And then Dare, I have Dare taking you know some good work in the receiving game. But yeah, I don't have Vaughn for much. So when we're talking Rojo versus Vaughn, I have him between those two guys taking most of the receiving work between them. Here's that thing. Ronald Jones' trainer, and this is pretty cool because we don't really see this with other players often. But his trainer is really outspoken, and he talks to us, and he tells us what's going on. He said that Ronald Jones has completely fixed the pass protection issue. Completely fixed it. He said it will not be a problem. Well, I believe him because a trainer's taking his rep out there, and you don't, you know, that's your livelihood, that's your career. So if you're going out and saying this, 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 and you lose credibility, it's going to be harder for you to get guys to train for, you know, the rest of your career. So why would he do that if he doesn't believe it, right? There's no incentive for him to go out and say that. Nobody asked him that. He just went out and said it. So if he did that, you know, looking at intention, it's probably true. So I believe it. Rojo probably has fixed his pass protection issues, which means he's going to be on the field more. And and he's going to be trusted better to be that receiving option that also might be asked to block depending on what the defense shows when Brady's changing plays on third down. He also has been catching 300 balls a day from the jugs machine. And the trainer also said, look, pass catching is not going to be a problem either. He's been doing 300 catches a day on the jugs machine. He's much better. And everyone, for some reason, thought Vaughn was a better receiver than Rojo. I don't understand it because you look at them in college and they basically have the same type of receiving profile. And... Rojo actually showed it to us in the NFL. Vaughn hasn't showed us anything in the NFL yet. Rojo also had like a 75% catch rate when the rest of the running backs for the Bucks last year, including Darren Ogumba Wale in this average, had about 60-something percent catch rate. So Rojo is better than all the running backs in every aspect of the game last year. I know I didn't give you the stats on the other spots, but you'll just have to trust me on that. If you don't trust me, then go ahead and look it up. But he did. And... Yeah, so he's playing for Tom Brady now. He's going to have plenty of opportunities to get touchdowns. Plus, the Bucks are probably going to be better in terms of having leads, and they're not going to be playing catch-up as much, so they're going to be able to run the ball more. I don't have Brady projected for 630 pass attempts like Jameis Winston was every season, so I think that they're going to have more opportunities there too. Then at 23, I have David Montgomery. This guy is someone I cannot see delivering. I just can't see it. I have him projected in the top five in the NFL for carries. I have him at 281 carries. That is ridiculous, and yet he is still so low on my list. He's not efficient. He's kind of a guy like Leonard Fournette. He's not efficient. And while I think, yes, he's going to see a efficiency bump with Foles being the quarterback, I do think that's going to help. It's not going to be a huge difference. Plus, much like Chris Thompson threatening Leonard Fournette, Tariq Cohen takes all the receiving work, but he's reliable in terms of health away from David Montgomery. And the Bears aren't an offense that scores much. They're probably going to be a worse offense than the Jaguars. So once again, there's even like more going against David Montgomery than Leonard Fournette. So his touchdown potential is really low. 
It's hard for me to see him doing much better than my projection. That's not a good sign because that puts him at RB23. So I'm going to give you my exact projection for him. 281 attempts for 1,180 yards, 20 receptions for 152 yards, and 9 touchdowns. That puts him at my RB23. No thank you. Next. RB24, Cam Akers. Cam is a guy that I also think can threaten Connor and Gurley. Oh, but the, it's not the same tier, so I actually forget that I said that. But Cam Akers is a guy that I do think has top five potential. I don't think we're going to see it this season because of everything that's going on, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a top five back within the next three years. I can't pin him down 100% this for this season. You know, some days I wake up and I love Cam Akers. Others, other days, I'm still drafting him. I wake up, I'm still drafting him. I'm just a little bit more worried. But here's the thing. I only have him at 13 carries a game and 34 receptions. So there's massive, massive room for improvement. By the way, 13 carries a game, it was an average. I have him at 207 on the season if you want to, if it's easier for you to reference, you know, numbers that way. So I have him at like the Alvin Kamara range, a little bit more carries. And obviously way less receptions than Kamara. I'm not comparing him to Kamara by any means. But I have him at 34 receptions. And that offense, if they take a huge step forward, if they figure things out, Cam Akers could be so, so good. He could easily be in the top 12 running backs, especially if they commit to him. Because if he gets like 15 carries and 50 receptions, he's going to vault, vault up my rankings. Or would vault up my rankings if that's what I projected. So I like Cam a good bit, and I'm not worried about McVay and his recent comments of, yeah, I really like how the 49ers do their offense. I like that four running back approach. You know, everyone's like freaking out now. Oh, adjust your rankings, adjust your rankings. Man, coaches say like a million things every offseason, and maybe like 10% of those things end up coming to fruition. I'm not going to put much value in that. If Cam Akers is the best running back on that team, and it's obvious, which I think is true, then they'll figure it out quick. He'll be on the field soon enough, and he'll be doing... Well, he'll definitely be on the field, but he'll be the guy on the field soon enough, and he's going to be a great running back for fantasy, and he has a huge opportunity in an offense that has been amazing before, so why not take the shot? He's a like fourth, fifth-round pick. That's a, that's a good shot, and in auction drafts... Oh, don't even get me started. Auction drafts, you're getting him between like 2 and $8 if you play your cards right, which, I mean, is not that hard. So... Cam Akers is my RB24. That rounds it out. Try to keep it quick again. We're going to try and keep RB weak this way. Next episode, I'm going to talk, instead of going like running backs 25 to 36, because then it's kind of like, you know, some of you guys will like to hear that, but I think it'll be a better approach to, to go with guys that I haven't talked about so far. So guys outside of my top 24 that I either love to draft or am completely fading. But since we're already you know, past my top 24 running backs. I'm not really going to do busts past that point or guys I'm fading. So I'm probably just going to lean guys that I love to draft at that point. Guys, I'm taking swings on in the later rounds and talk about some strategy at the running back position this year based on, you know, positional value. That's what we're going to do on the next episode. I hope you guys have a good one. Keep working hard, striving to be the best you can be. That's what we're all here for. And have a good one. Peace out. (laughs) 